God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today is taken from the reading in the book of Romans for this Reformation Sunday. You may be seated. We begin with a word of prayer. Almighty God, we today rejoice. By your grace alone, you have chosen us, chosen to save us with the shed blood of Jesus Christ in us, which we receive purely as a gift. Lord, today as we remember this wonderful teaching of justification, we pray, Lord, now that you would remind us of your love by granting us your Holy Spirit. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. Does the doctrine of justification matter anymore? Does justification matter to us? I think that's actually a pretty good question for us today as we celebrate Reformation Sunday here on October 31st. Reformation Sunday is, is that Sunday in which we remember Martin Luther initiating uh, the Protestant Reformation on uh, October 31st, 1517, when, when Luther took the, his 95 theses, that is 95 points of academic debate, and nailed them to the church door in Wittenberg. These points of debate were over the issue of indulgences. Indulgences was this teaching, is I should say, this teaching in the Catholic Church uh, that you can spend money to get people out of purgatory and in essence purchase salvation with money. Luther saw a lot of problems with this and so he began to protest. Now, this was intended as an academic debate, but the thing kind of exploded. And suddenly it became this full-out call for the church to return then to the scriptures as their sole authority for doctrine and life. Then it is those scriptures that teach us that the only hope human beings have before a holy and righteous God is in Jesus Christ dying for them, rising for them, and promising the gift of everlasting life. It is only by God's grace that a sinner can ever be declared righteous, or the term for this is justified, in the eyes of God. Luther and the Reformers had to fight some to the death to preach this gospel for Christ's sake. Now, Luther's road to Reformation is a story we've revisited time and time again. If you are unfamiliar with the story, let me encourage you to join us today for Bible study. Uh, we're going to be watching a video about Luther and his road to the Reformation. And it's a story that's sort of tried and true, and we've heard it a million times over. If you Actually, if you haven't heard it, and you can't come to Bible study today, let me know. There's a wonderful show uh, on YouTube that I can direct you to to tell you more about it. However, the Reformation did not take place simply because there was one verbose monk with a weighty conscience. Luther preached Christ to an entire era, and he was part of an entire era that was burdened by their guilt and terrified of God's wrath. They were haunted by their sins and the judgment of God. As one scholar, Oswald Bayer, writes, many thousands joined his song, Luther's song, and found in the turning point of Luther's life the watershed of their own lives. This was a world of, center, of sinners, haunted by their sins, terrified of God's judgment, and they longed for comfort and certainty, which is found only in the preaching of Jesus Christ crucified, which is found only in in the doctrine of justification. And I have to wonder, do we even care about this stuff? Are we still haunted by God? Are we still bothered 
by our sins? Are we bothered by our sins to the point that we ever worry about God's justice and his wrath on sinners? Does this concept of justification, how one can be righteous in the eyes of God, even cross our minds? Now, it might free you. I know there are many of us here who worry about God's judgment, who know of our sins, and we're fearful of the judgment of God that might fall upon us. However, at the same time, I think if we were to sort of generally think about the culture right now, I think the doctrine of justification, or maybe I should say it better this way, the idea of justification still matters. But we've turned the tables now. It's not us thinking that we need to be just in the eyes of a righteous God. But rather, right now, we look around our world and we see suffering and pain and war and division and heartache and pain and evil, and we want answers. We demand that God justify himself to us. We're no longer worried in our culture whether or not we've done enough to earn a right standing before him. No, we want him to justify why the world is the way it is to us. We kind of like Adam in the garden right now. Remember Adam in the garden? Uh, He eats the fruit, and what does the devil tell him? Eat this fruit, and you will be like God. Well, apparently, on some level, Adam bought into the lie because when God came to the garden to judge what had happened, Adam stood up, and he began to point his finger back at God and said, you know, it's your fault. It's that woman that you gave me that made me eat. If it weren't for her, if it weren't for you, none of this would have happened. So another great scholar, a guy named Robert Kolb, writes, Luther's theology evolved from a concern that human creatures uh, do not have and cannot produce what God and his justice demands from them. But modern people complain because God does not produce what they demand as their rights from him. So we have this sort of fear of God on two levels. I think people are haunted by God on two levels. Haunt is a good word because it's also Halloween. I don't know if you were aware of that today, but it's Halloween. If you haven't purchased candy for kids yet, come on, get on it. Here we go. All right. Uh, But here's the thing. We are haunted by God either as sort of this terrifying monster who's just waiting to devour us with his judgment, or we are terrified of this God who is like a ghost, who people used to have hope in, who used to come around and give people comfort, but now we haven't seen him for a while, and it's really kind of like he's not even there. So for people who take God seriously, there tends to be this haunting of the fear of God's wrath or the fear of God's indifference. And both weigh heavily upon our conscience. And it seems to me that because of these fears, because of this haunting, this is precisely why the doctrine of justification still matters. And in fact, this is the very thing St. Paul is teaching us today as we come to Romans chapter 3. And he's talking to us about how sinners can be righteous, who can be justified in the eyes of God. So we're going to spend a little bit of time here in the book of Romans today. Now, we've been going through Romans on our Sunday morning Bible studies. And if you haven't joined us for that, I want to encourage you. It's never too late. Make sure you start joining us for that. Uh, Next week, we'll be back into the book of Romans. But if you have been there, this should sound familiar to you. Right now we're here in Romans chapter 3, and we're kind of in the midst of an argument Paul is making. In the first two chapters of the book, Paul has spent his time showing us that before the law of God, we have no hope. He's really laid out the problem like this. The problem for us as sinners is that we have sin, and God has a righteous standard, his law. Sin and law are 
falling short in God's judgment. These are our problems. And if we ever think that we can stand righteous before God based off of our performance, based off of our works, based off of what we do, we are demonstrating that we do not understand the weight and the depth of our sin. So Paul writes this, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through law comes knowledge of sin. So the picture here is this, it's a courtroom, and God is the judge, and he's laying out the law, and we are looking at the law like a mirror, and when we compare it to ourselves, we recognize that we have not kept the law, that we are falling woefully short. What's more, what we're learning here from the book of Romans is that God gave us that law precisely for that purpose, precisely to show us that we aren't righteous. The law was given not as a path for us to follow, to show us how to get back to God, not as a ladder that we climb to sort of earn our way into God's presence. No, the law was given to show us that we are not righteous. It's given to show us that we need a Savior. In a certain sense, under the law, our fears of God's wrath are justified, we might say. But you must understand, if you only see God through the lens of the law, if you only know God by means of his judgment, you do not have the whole story. And in fact, God now decided to do something else apart from the law. He's decided to justify you, declare you righteous, apart from your performance, apart from the law. This is what Paul writes. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So the law and the prophets, that is the Old Testament, bears witness to this. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is simply to say that our right standing before God comes from a manner that is wholly different than the law, than the expectation, than your performance. It comes as a gift of grace. And it's not earned or deserved, it's received. Open empty hands and God puts his grace in. For all have sinned, Paul writes, and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. My favorite verse to preach every year, because we say propitiation, and we're already using a bunch of big words today, which is a lot of fun, but now we're saying propitiation, and nobody knows what propitiation means. Raise your hand if you know what propitiation means. Pastor Meyer doesn't count because he did this at seminary. All right. No, no, I'm just kidding. You do count. But that wasn't fair. All right, so Pastor Meyer knows I know because I looked it up this week. Propitiation is this. You are righteous in the eyes of God because Jesus got in the way of God's wrath. So think of it like this. God's wrath is attracted to sin. Sin is like a magnet for God's wrath. And sinners have this wrath coming right at them. Well, when Jesus put on our flesh, what he did was he came to us and he said, here, let me take that from you. And he took all of our sinful he took all of our sinful nature, he took all of our sinful acts, he took all of it away from us. He carried it as his own to the cross, so that the wrath of God was no longer directed at us, but directed at Christ. And when he was on the cross, it all fell on him. He absorbed, that's what the propitiation idea is, he absorbed the wrath of God in our place. It means that God has no wrath left for us. Christ has taken this this monster of God's wrath, and removed it entirely. And in exchange, he has given you a tender, loving father. 
who has no wrath left. The monster of God's wrath is gone, for Christ has paid the righteous price for your sins. So that, Paul writes, God might be both just, that is, he doesn't just pretend like the sins didn't happen, he actually deals with them, but in Christ. So he is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, because Christ has taken the punishment for your sin, God is just in declaring you righteous. Not by your works, by Christ's works his grace alone. You no longer have a terrifying monster reigning over you, but a loving father who has mercy for you and the gift of everlasting life waiting for you. Now we hear that. We go, that's wonderful. That's nice. But that doesn't deal with the problem that we have today. If God's such a loving, caring father, how come all the suffering? How come all the pain? Why do we see all these terrible things around us, all these terrible things going on all around us? How can God justify all the sufferings of the world? Does he not care about our sufferings? Is he absent from us in our sufferings? The doctrine of justification today would tell us no. No. In fact, not only is Jesus not absent from our sufferings, but we just heard what Christ has done for us. On that cross, he took our sufferings upon himself. And he suffered in a greater, more deeper way than anybody could ever possibly imagine. He takes the suffering into himself and hangs on the cross to die for the sake of sinners. But then he does something else. We know this. He doesn't stay dead. But in fact, on the third day, on Sunday, after he died on Friday, we call that Easter Sunday, of course, Jesus was raised again. And St. Paul says it this way, Christ was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. What does it mean for him to be raised for our justification? Well, let's shift how we think about justification for one minute here. Sometimes we talk about justification and it's the courtroom scene. There's another way of talking about justification. If you ever work on a computer, right, you work on a computer, and you want to line something up with the computer, with the, the document you're typing out, you type it from the right, you justify it on the right, or you justify it on the left. It's putting it into the right place. Does that make sense? You're putting the words into the right place on the document. Part of what Christ is doing in his justifying work is not just forgiving your sins, though he's certainly doing that, but he's also making everything right. He's putting things back to the way they were supposed to be. The entire creation is corrupted and corroded and falling apart because of sin. But because Jesus Christ has taken sin away and conquered it and risen from the dead, his resurrection proclaims for us that he's making all things right. He's justifying everything. That is to say, at the end of time, when Christ comes again, he will take all that is evil and sinful and false, and basically undo it. Put everything back the way it's supposed to be. Paul goes on in Romans 8, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. Christ, in other words, in taking the suffering of the world onto his shoulders and rising from the dead, is making all things new. Christ is not a ghost who does nothing about our sufferings, but he is the risen Lord who will turn our sorrow into laughter. So that Christ removes all that we fear in this life. For those who are haunted by the wrath of God, for those who are haunted by the seeming 
absence of God, Christ has come to you to remove your fear. He has shed his blood for sinners. And make no mistake, you are the very sinner for whom he has died. You are the very sinner that he declares righteous on account of his shed blood. And you are the very baptized, beloved disciple of God who has been promised that everything will be made right and it will be made right through you. Whether we know it or not, whether we believe it or not, the doctrine of justification still matters. And it matters for you because it is the gospel by which you are saved. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for the mercy that you have shown upon us by your grace. Lord God, we pray that in the midst of our fears, in the midst of our longings, in the midst of our sorrows, you would visit us with this wonderful blessing of justification. You would visit us with your mercy. You would point us to Jesus who has died and has risen. He's coming again to take us to you. Give us faith in him always. In his name we pray. Amen. We heard the word of our Lord.